today on Agnews Daily. Our, our focus is to provide a solution uh, to pump subsurface drainage water when there's no outlet available and grid power is inaccessible or expensive. January 26th, Thursday edition of the Agnews Daily Podcast. Here before markets open, Tanner and Delaney. Hanging out to bring you the latest headlines today. How's Delaney's morning going? I'm good, Tanner. A little tired. Had some flight issues getting in last night, but I'm back in Iowa, so we have lots of snow. Yes, we have, and I have a feeling there might be some more on its way. Of course, there's several wind and winter weather advisories being issued for the Northern Plains. Parts of North Dakota will see sustained 35 mile per hour winds with gusts up to 60. Eastern North Dakota, Western Minnesota, and a sliver of South Dakota can expect to see some snow this afternoon. Of course, after midnight tonight, that will continue to push Northwest. We'll see if we get anything here in Iowa. Seems like we're on the edge of a couple of different warnings for winter weather. So we'll see if uh, anything adds to our snow total. We certainly will, Tanner. But something that's going to add some pressure to the markets could be the Federal Reserve's announcement next week. They meet on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week, and the Fed Fed Funds futures trading puts a 97% chance on the fact that they will likely see a 25 basis point rate hike on Wednesday, followed by odds again, high odds, 80% that another rate hike will come 25 basis points again in March, Tanner. So the market thinks things are going to peak somewhere around 4.75 to 5% at that point before declining potentially 50 to 75 basis points by the end of the year. So a peak is in sight according to those betting on what the futures, Fed fund futures will be doing. Yeah, and that sentiment's really changed over the last two weeks because the first target rate was closer to that five and a half to 575 range. Um, It is going to be quite interesting. Part of the things they might be looking at is the jobs report. So the latest jobs report came out saying that the labor market was still in decent shape. But Bank of America is sending out some warnings that we may be on the cusp of turning data between now and the next report. December 22 showed that employment rose by 223,000 jobs. That was higher by 23,000 than the expected 200,000 job increase. America's jobs growth is obviously headed in the right direction, according to those stats. But... Bank of America CEO is saying he expects those payroll gains and job gains to turn negative by the middle of the year. He's looking at the end of the first quarter 2023 to see jobs get back to neutral. And then we could be seeing the U.S. losing 175,000 jobs a month. It's not just the labor market that's going to take a hurt, but that might be part of the insinuation for the peak in your rate hikes that you just described. It might cause a harder landing than a softer one, no matter how hard the Fed tries to predict, was the exact quote coming from that Bank of America CEO. Well, you know, you continue to see tech layoffs, so I suppose it makes sense. We're going to start to see those trickle into other industries as well. Yep, it'll be interesting to see what parts of the nation and what industries get hit the worst, but uh, certainly doesn't look like 
2023 is going to shape up to be a year that ends in a fun fashion? Well, one thing that may not end in a fun fashion for environmental groups is a recent lawsuit that they filed with the FDA asking farmers to stop giving low-dose antibiotics to livestock. On Tuesday in the U.S. District Court of Maryland, multiple environmental groups, including the National Resource Defense Council, Earth Justice, Food Animal Concerns Trust, Public Citizen and other public health and consumer groups asked the court to set aside a 2021 agency denial of a petition that would require producers to quit using low dosage antibiotics and asked FDA to either grant or reconsider the petition. Now, in 2016, these groups asked yet again the FDA to ban use of antibiotics in livestock and poultry in the absence of illness. They said that FDA said it agreed with the petitioners that the practice may be contributing to human antibiotic resistance. But Tanner, the thing here is most of the time producers are not using antibiotics when livestock are not sick. So I'm not really quite sure what their intended um, path forward is with this lawsuit. Yeah, I had kind of perused through that headline. I didn't give it a lot of attention as it seemed to be more of a, a headline grabber than rather some meat to that story. Cause you're right. There's a lot of gaps in what their motive is. Another area that uh, headline to keep you updated on as far as court cases go, John Deere is seeking the right to repair case to be dismissed. They have asked the court to issue a ruling to end the lawsuits. Of course, the future of right to repair is a class action lawsuit on behalf of 16 farms against John Deere that we've reported on. The motion was filed by Deere at the end of December in the U.S. District Court, District of Northern Illinois, to seek a judgment to the pleadings. They essentially are saying the parties in the lawsuit do not believe there is sufficient factual support for the allegations against the company. Of course, we reported on the major success that the Farm Bureau administration had with John Deere and their right to repair guidelines. All these cases are alleging that John Deere violated the Sherman Antitrust Act and are seeking damages for farmers who paid for repairs at John Deere dealers during the period of 2018 to 2021. Deere presented several reasons why. They said they alleged the farmer plaintiffs lacked legal standing to sue, failure to identify a plausible relevant market base plausibly allege that they are that deer is having a monopoly power in the repair services market and they failed to allege that there is an anti-competitive agreement amongst them and other repair shops so quite a menagerie of allegations obviously reversed that can't be considered plausible but it looks like deer is trying to get that case dismissed in the coattails following the coattails of the agreement that they pledged with the american farm bureau administration yeah that's gonna tick some people off tanner i'd say yeah one step forward and looks like here they're trying to sweep something else under the rug as they step through the threshold mm-hmm. yeah, it certainly sounds that way well in some other potential legislation here We have a new potential act that could save truck drivers up to $10,000 and cover CDL costs. 
foreign ocean carriers were found to be leaving congested U.S. ports empty-handed in 2021 and 2022. And because of that, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act was established. But some legislators are posing that more needs to be done to help inland travel of goods and services. Representative Dusty Johnson and Jim Costa on Tuesday introduced into Congress to the Senate the Safer Highways and Increased Performance and Interstate Trucking Act, otherwise known as Ship It. This would expand the trucking workforce and offer some flexibility in some of these times of need. They said part of the requirements or part of the benefits here, I suppose, of the Ship It Act would be to offer authority for certain vehicle waivers during emergencies, allowing truck drivers to apply for workforce grants, streamlining the CDL process, and assisting with truck parking difficulties, Tanner, amongst other things. But according to the bill, eligible truck drivers would be granted funds to cover the cost of their CDL, including course materials, supplies, fees for graduation, licenses, and certifications. And established drivers would also be granted a $7,500 tax credit, while new truck drivers would be offered a $10,000 tax credit. So they are certainly trying to get new people into the trucking industry, Tanner, with this bill. We don't, or act, I should say, we don't know if it's going to pass yet, uh, but it is some fresh fresh legislation for us to chew on today. Yeah, and it's interesting for those of you listeners outside of the state of Iowa to pay attention to what's been happening in the Iowa legislature here recently. Not necessarily something we're going to get into depth on the show, but we do have some school reform legislation going into place as well as like we'd reported on potential adjustment to SNAP requirements. But outside of political side of things, we do see some green processes happening here in the state of Iowa. One Iowa company is now recycling wind turbine blades. So unfortunately, we know that as you drive across the countryside in some of these areas, wind farms take up a portion of your view. But we also know that their lifespan is only 20 to 25 years. After that, you have to take care of the structure, including the turbine, the base, the body, and the blades. Now an Iowa company is able to make fiber out of the fiberglass that is coming from these recycled wind tower blades. Region Fiber, which is a subsidiary of Alliant Energy, is a company out of Des Moines that is looking for a solution to create a fully circular recycled solution for renewable energy. Sounds like a lot of buzzwords in that quote, Delaney, but the director of business development stated that their process of recycling blades is being piloted piloted at their Des Moines facility. So they will be able to create three different products out of the fiberglass blades. All three of these products will be able to benefit the industries of concrete, asphalt, and other structural materials. And they look to reduce the carbon footprint of their companies that those products will benefit by providing a recycled material to blend in. The exact quantity of CO2 has been uncalculated at this time that they could potentially save these companies, but there is a brand new facility being built in Lynn County that will likely ramp up production as this test phase in Des Moines has been successful. They're looking to recycle over 30,000 tons of shredded blade material every year 
which is roughly 3,000 blades. So three blades on each turbine, they will be able to take care of the waste produced from 1,000 turbines every year. This Iowa process is hopefully going to set the standard for those in other states. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on watching this technology and recycling grow. Well, Tanner, I think I have just one final headline here as we look at continued shots fired during the Mexico-U.S. negotiations. Of course, the U.S. after Monday's meeting threatened, uh, again, continued enforcement of the USMCA agreement. Well, Mexico has responded, saying that they will not be able to completely replace all corn imports by 2024, but they're certainly going to be trying. The country hopes to reduce their purchases of U.S. corn between 30 and 40 percent. Mexico is already self-sufficient in the production of white corn, but highly dependent on imports of U.S. yellow corn. But Mexico said that they are processing or progressing significantly in their bid to substitute grain imports, which come almost entirely from the United States. And Tanner just seems like one more little jab here at the U.S. as we continue to see the two countries negotiating back and forth. It is definitely an intense negotiating, which is good to see that ethanol production rose to its highest level in more than a month last week. Output increased to an average of over a million barrels per day on the week that ended January 20th. But what does that do for inventories? They were reported at 25.077 million barrels. That's up from the 23.04. This is now the largest level of stocks that we've had since the seven days that ended April 1st. So production's up and inventory's up on the ethanol side of things, Delaney. So with the news coming out of the negotiations with Mexico and ethanol production being high, what did that do to markets in the overnight? Well, yesterday, you know, we certainly tried to see corn rally and unfortunately it couldn't pull through. As we look here at the overnight session, we are starting to see corn and soybeans slowly tick higher, but can they sustain those gains today when we open up is a good question. In the meantime, new crop corn traded a penny higher in the overnight to open this morning at 589. New crop soybeans will open at 1347 and a half. Hard red winter wheat rallied a little bit yesterday on a Turkish missile strike uh, right there in prime wheat country and will open here in the March contract up eight cents at 851 and a quarter. As we take a look at the livestock markets here this morning, Tanner, we're seeing uh, mostly green across the screen, except for the February live cattle contract, which is down a quarter at a buck fifty-seven sixty. March feeder cattle will open fifteen cents higher at a dollar eighty-three seventy-five, and February lean hawks down thirty cents to open at seventy-six eighty. Well, Tanner, without further ado, fill us in on who we're chatting with uh, from your conference from last week. Yeah, so right when you walked in the door, they had a great booth space, and they certainly commanded attention because it was a solar powered lift station so able to pump water without having to have direct energy available and need technology so let's learn more about who they are and what they're doing So sitting here at NACADE, North American Conservation and Drainage Expo, my pleasure to be joined today by Jamie Neer and he's got 
one of the best booths here, right? As you walk in the door, coming down the escalators, filmed in, and you've had somebody standing at your booth all day. But first of all, Jamie, tell our listeners who you are and who you work for. Yeah, so my name is Jamie Neer, and I'm from Michigan, uh, West Michigan, and I'm the owner of Energy Service Solutions. We design and sell solar lift stations for drainage water pumping, uh, primarily, and that's sort of a growing uh, trend, if you will, with remote lift stations where there's just no no grid power available. Right. And we see a lot of contractors going after some of those 10, 20, 30, you know, 80 acre parcels that need to be pumped mm-hmm. and there's no grid power available so we can do that from a solar system. Yeah, and that's when you look at the display booth that you have, you have a set of is that is that what called four panels is that a four panel set that you've got on display there's there's two panels there okay and uh that's not enough to run a pump uh they are 450 watt panels which is one of the largest sizes you can get um but we would use you know at least six of those to run a half horsepower pump um to run a two horsepower we would be at seven panels um we go up to a seven and a half horsepower pump at 34 panels mm-hmm. so our our niche really is in the smaller pumps uh half horse through sure. through three horsepower and the the solutions that you're providing is to you know as we talk here in iowa we don't have a lot of areas that need a lift station but there are a lot of agricultural positions in which you have to get water up correct because drainage tile water flows downhill and you're providing a solution without having to have access to power to be able to get that water back up level. that's correct yeah so there's there's many places around the country and and i mean we've done systems in canada as well where the municipal drains aren't deep enough to gravity drain into uh, so contractors are dealing with this on on a on a large scale and you know it's it, not necessarily apples to apples with a grid pump just because we're running solar direct so it's not it's not pumping at night sure but it's a lot better than doing nothing and you know you can still address those issues on on especially small acre fields right uh, as a way to get water off and that's that's an interesting point because i noticed that you didn't have any batteries over there right so you just mentioned that it doesn't pump at night so you're not utilizing batteries. We're not utilizing batteries, and there's a, a few different reasons why. I mean, part of it is a, a cost thing. Uh, it's uh, very adds a lot of complexity, so a lot more to go wrong. Um, and you know, we're always watching the technology to see if something like that is feasible. Um, on our smaller systems, we provide them ready with a portable generator plug, so you can back them up at night with a generator if you if you want to. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, we've got close to 50 of these systems in operation. Uh, on the average, they work very well. Um, you know, there's it's it's not really uh, been a problem in our experience to for the pump to be off at night. Sure, there's some fields, uh, some parts of the country where maybe that wouldn't be acceptable. Sure, uh, but. I would say overall, it's still better than doing nothing. Right. So in your space as a contractor, are there others that are using solar power to run lift station pumps like this? Or is this kind of a niche that you've fallen into? I would say it's definitely a niche that we've fallen into. We're aware of a couple other um, companies that have have some systems available. Um, I would say ours is, is unique in some ways. 
as far as the product that we're using, it's made by a company called Infusion. It's a company out in Colorado, and they specialize in, you know, high-efficiency solar drives for running pumps. Uh, so typically, we're going to start our pump earlier and run it longer than a lot of other systems. And, you know, with this blender device on these smaller horsepower systems, it gives us that, that generator or utility input option, which, which is, is, a, is a pretty big deal in right. terms of being able to run the generator from, or run the pump from an alternate source. Right. No, that's a, a really good point. And that makes this conference, the, the North American Conservation and Drainage Expo, a, play, a perfect place for you to set up a booth because the, the sheer amount of contractors that are here that are looking to solve problems for their clients. That's right. I mean, we've had so much interest here the past two days. And, you know, I, I personally take a lot of phone calls that come into our office. So many questions. So this has been really good for us to get out in front of people and, and do some education. And, you know, there's nothing like, you know, the contractors and farmers being able to put their eyes on this equipment and see the kind of the scale of what we've been doing. It just helps uh, give some confidence uh, to this system. I know there's a lot of ads in certain states that state there are a credit or a tax incentive for using solar power. Does that also accommodate your system, depending upon where it's installed at? So we don't have a lot of experience in that. So we're from Michigan, and there's there's not really anything available in Michigan that we're that we're aware of. Um, so other parts of the country, uh, you know, that's something that. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever be an expert in that in that matter, and we would probably have to have the contractor, the farmer, sure. be familiar with that and and find somebody to consult with on that. No, that's that's really good. Before we close out today, is there anything else that you'd like our listeners to know about your company and what you guys are trying to achieve? Yeah, well, again, I guess in you know in, in summary, our our focus is to provide a solution uh, to pump dr subsurface drainage water when there's no outlet available and grid power is inaccessible or expensive, uh, you know, to access. It, it gives an option. Uh, we're, we're confident that it works. We have around 50 systems installed and, you know, we're always glad to provide references, uh, you know, to people in, in areas, you know, confirm mm -hmm. how the system works. We have systems across the U.S. We have uh, several in Canada. So usually we can find a reference sure. fairly near people. Yeah, absolutely. So if our listeners now are intrigued and want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to look you up? Well, I would I would recommend going to our website, uh, solarliftstations.com. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of information there. Um, our company name is is uh, Energy Service Solutions. That's our limited liability company. Yep. The Solar Lift Stations is kind of a marketing uh, arm of that. Yep. So. Perfect. Well, listeners, go check them out. We appreciate you coming over and saying hi, and I uh, hope the rest of the trade show goes well for you. Thank you. We're excited. We've been down there learning a lot of different perspectives, and a couple of great companies were kind enough to step on the mic. So I'm glad that we got to share one with our listeners, Dwayne. Yeah, that was a great conversation, Tanner. And we're going to have one more great conversation tomorrow on the podcast. But in the meantime, you can follow along with us on social media at Ag News Daily. And Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.